Hello, friendo. You know that feeling you get when you're around a good friend? There's nothing like it. It can make a bad day good and a good day great. I wanted to create a podcast that made me feel just like that. Every person has a story. And here in Friendo, we're going to celebrate them. I'm going to introduce you to fascinating people that will make us laugh, make us think, and inspire us. More than anything, this is a place where we can be ourselves. This is Friendo. As I get older, and as my children get a little older too, I find I have more time to think about myself. Because with young children, there wasn't much time for those thoughts. I was busy putting out fires and trying to enjoy a coffee before it cooled down. I'm now at a place where I want to learn more about my body and my health as I age. I'm also very keen to look at it holistically and find ways to combine naturopathic and conventional medicine. My guest today is Dr. Sarah Connors, an Indigenous naturopathic doctor and birth doula. Her perspective as an Indigenous woman working in healthcare is really interesting, and she explains why it took her some time to embrace her Indigenous roots. I was particularly fascinated by her focus on the Indigenous concept of the seven generations when working with her patients. Later in the episode, Dean and I do something a little different. Have you seen the recent interview with model Paulina Poroshkova, where she discusses the concept of disappearing as we age? It blew my mind. Dean and I will be talking about this because I recall a few years back when Dean, who's 52, mentioned that he just doesn't feel seen anymore. I'm 37, which I know isn't old, but I find myself thinking about how I can continue to show up online as I age. And I'm fascinated maybe even a little fearful by the concept of becoming invisible. For this week's favorites, I share a must-have product for your lips as the seasons change, my favorite candle from my shop's recent holiday launch, and a clothing style that I'm not convinced is actually back, but I cannot live without. I'm Amanda Muse, and this is Frendo. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Oh, thank you for having me, Amanda. I'm really, really happy to be here. Really excited to be here. I feel like such a, what's, I was like, is noob the right word in terms of, you know, what you do for work? I have never seen a naturopathic doctor, but I feel like I've talked about it. I've been interested in it. At one point, I thought I wanted to pursue it. But so tell me a little bit about, you know, how do people work with you? What is a typical day in your life like? Oh, for sure. And it's it's interesting because we've been around for a long time. And when I say we, I mean us collectively as naturopathic doctors. But I still talk to people almost on the daily that really don't have a concept of what is a naturopathic doctor and what do we do. If I ask someone that, I get a wide variety of answers. So I get anything from, you guys do something with like, eating healthy or nutrition or something like that, right? Um, to um, a good friend of mine likes to joke um, that I use chicken bones uh, for diagnostic purposes. He has, a very, <laughs> he has a very good sense of humor and likes to, to joke. Um, but I do not actually use chicken bones in my diagnostics. Don't worry, anybody who's listening and like, what is she talking about? We actually use legitimate 
lab testing, we actually use diagnostics. We're actually trained in that. So what I often will share with someone who's completely new to working with me, and especially when they tell me that they've never worked with a naturopathic doctor before, is that we have just as much training in terms of the time that we go through training as your family doctor does. We have eight years of post-secondary school that we have to go through before we actually walk out of naturopathic college and pass our licensing exams, just like any other professional in the healthcare field. And we have to show that we are actually good at what we do. Um, so it's not just a weekend course. It's not just, uh, I read a couple books and now I can go and hang up my shingle and say, hey, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I can help you. <laughs> uh, we have a lot more learning that we have to do. So it's a combination of the hard sciences if you want to call them that. So your biochemistry, your physiology, your anatomy, all the ologies you can kind of think of, we have to study all of those. And then we also study more of what some people tend to think of us more for, which is the natural side of things. So that's your herbal medicines, your uh, remedies of different kinds, your nutrition, your lifestyle support. And then what we end up doing, especially this is how I practice, is we weave all those things together and knit them in a very nice package that works cohesively to treat you as the individual. Because that's really, to me, and how I explain naturopathic medicine is really what it is is at its core, is it's individualized healthcare, it's individualized treatment. So instead of treating you, say, Amanda, if you were to come into my office and you told me you were dealing with PCOS, I wouldn't look at you as your PCOS. I would look at you as Amanda. And I want to know Amanda's story because Amanda's story has part of her story as PCOS, but she isn't PCOS. And that's the differentiation that I often see missed with our conventional medical care. And part of that is timing. Part of that is they're just overworked and overrun and they only have between seven and 10 minutes with you to say, hello, what's wrong with you? What can I do for you? And head you out the door. I will spend on average about an hour, sometimes even more with a new patient. So I'm really listening to what you have to say, taking all that information and putting it together so that I have a very clear picture of what it is that's going on with you as an individual, what your experience of your health is and how we can potentially shift that so that you're actually getting your health care needs met. So it's a very different approach um, in terms of how we do medicine compared to what you would typically see with your um, family doctor or any other doctor that you're interacting with in the conventional medical side of things. Sounds so welcoming and refreshing because I think you hear well, I don't think I know. I hear a lot of people who are dealing with real, you know, health concerns and, you know, not feeling like they're being heard in the healthcare system. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like, you know, when someone would seek out a naturopathic doctor, it would be like, well, nothing else worked. And so I'm going to go try this route. But it seems like the, if there's been a shift, maybe it's just access to information. People like yourself, like I could find you and hear about what you do and read about more what you do, where people are realizing 
this is another option and you could seek it out from the start, from the get-go. Is there a shift happening there? Yes, I would definitely say that's the case. I would say since I've become a doctor, um, I've been in practice for about eight years now. And then even when I was a student in school, I could see that that shift was starting to happen, especially as we've become part of the, um, at least in Ontario, we are part of the Regulated Healthcare Practitioners Act. Whereas that wasn't the case, um, I forget exactly what year that was enacted, but it was when I was in school. So it's only been within the last about 15 years that we've been under the same healthcare act as everybody else. So people hearing about us, understanding that we're here, understanding that they can access us, and that um, that most of their insurance programs will actually cover some of naturopathic care, it starts to become more of an option for more people because they realize, they, hey, I have access to this. My benefits cover this. So why aren't I using it? Because it's another form of care where we can actually do something from a preventative standpoint as opposed to completely reactionary. What was the motivation for you? If it's same amount of time, you know, you're all at end result, you're seeing people, you're treating them. What, you know, motivated you to switch or, or go the route of naturopathic medicine? I would say for me, it's always where I've been drawn towards. I was very, very fortunate that, um, and I even mentioned this um, in one of my early episodes in my podcast, and we can talk about that later. Um, but I, I call my parents very lovingly. Um, hippies without being hippies in a hippie commune. Um, so <laughs> well, that was very much their focus. And so because they already thought this way, my mom had some pretty significant health issues in her 20s. And a friend of hers introduced her to this supplement brand called Sunrider, which isn't around quite as much as it used to be. But that was her first introduction. And then, um, and this is again, I know something that we'll probably get to in a minute, um, is I have Indigenous heritage on my father's side of the family. So our Indigenous heritage and our Indigenous traditions led my father down the path of discovery in terms of finding out about our traditional heritage and the fact that we do have, um, and it's actually both sides, which is really interesting. So there's been lots of little... Um, influences, I guess you could say, even stemming back that far. And then what my parents ended up doing with us was we, we jokingly said we had a little health food store in our kitchen growing up because we had all the different supplements and things. And it's not that my parents didn't take us to the doctor or anything like that. It's just their approach was, we'll go and see the family doctor when we absolutely need to, when we need that form of medicine. Like myself, my siblings, we were all born in the hospital. Um, you know, all of those things, my, my siblings and I, if we got hurt, my sister got stitches a couple times growing up. Like there's a, there's a place for all the different types of medicine. But what my parents saw was that we didn't necessarily need to do that all the time. So then we used herbs, we used teas, we used all those kinds of things growing up as kids. And so I always saw that side of things. And then we also saw a naturopath that was a good family friend as a kid. So I got introduced to this stuff really early. And I was very fortunate to have those kinds of influences that drew me that way anyway. 
I think when your parents are just open to stuff and as parents, if you're open to things, your kids realize that that's an option, right? Now, you did mention that you do have Indigenous heritage. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today was that you have found a way to combine, you know, your Indigenous history heritage with, you know, traditional type of, you know, naturopathic ways, you know, but what I'm curious is it took you a little bit to come to that, you know, point where you were celebrating that part of yourself. I'm curious, like, because looking at it from now, I'm like, well, it makes sense. You had a medicine man in your family history. You know, your dad was showing you these things, but yet there was a little bit of reluctancy to embrace that. What was that? You know, what was that for you? What's that been like for you as a, as a doctor now? It's a really great uh, way to put it because it, it really was a, a reluctancy thing, kind of like you said, because as much as I grew up with that, and I know I was very lucky to, again, have those early influences because there's a lot of people in our Indigenous communities that they're only just coming to that now because they've had um, the trauma of residential schools in their family, of the 60s scoop, of, um, you know, it's still the case today that there's a much larger percentage of Indigenous children in the child and welfare system than there are non-Indigenous children. And Indigenous children really only make up um, a very small percentage of the total population. So when you look at these kinds of things, it makes sense why so many of us end up struggling with finding our way to our heritage and finding our way to our traditional teachings and our culture. And so I know I'm very, very fortunate in the fact that I got to grow up with that. But The other thing, too, is if anyone happens to (laughs) meet me, know me, go to my website, you'll be able to see that I do not look Indigenous one bit. You would probably classify me as Irish or Scottish or something else in that realm because I look like a Caucasian female with curly hair. (laughs) That's what I look like for anyone who's listening and has no idea what I look like. That's what I look like. So I blend in to the average Canadian population. I don't look particularly Indigenous. And so knowing that, that was something that I was always very conscientious about, standing up and saying that I have Mohawk heritage. I am part Indigenous because I am Irish and Ukrainian and all of these other Western European heritages as well. And I celebrate those as well. but. The fact that we have the history in Canada that we do of the settler population doing, or I shouldn't say doing, but being a part and party of all these things that have been done to our Indigenous communities made it very challenging for me to find that blend between the two parts of myself because I know that I blend in and that's an advantage in a world that still supports primarily Caucasian individuals. And there's privilege with that. And then also my Indigenous communities looking at me and saying, who are you to stand up and say anything about our Indigenous communities? Because we have that very difficult history with non-Indigenous individuals. So there are people out there who say that they are healers and say that they are of Indigenous ancestry, but they're not. 
Wow. That exists. It was a journey for me to figure out how I could put those two together in a way that people would hear and understand where it was coming from. Thank you for sharing that with me. It's obviously something as a white woman, I will never understand, but I have enough understanding that I can imagine the difficulty of, like you said, you know, you, you are part of both. These are both such important elements of who you are. And yet we, as a culture, love to visually say, you go there and you go there. But what about folks who present one way and feel another? Like how, how, and, and it's, it's that journey that you have to go through as an individual. So I'm glad that you have done it because it's, you know, pretty interesting. You know, I want to talk about your podcast, what you're doing there. And how are you now at this point, you know, connecting those two parts, that Western and indigenous understanding of health? Why is this important to you right now? How are you doing this? Absolutely. I technically started this a few years ago when I started reaching out to the indigenous communities that I have relationships with. So I actually um, ended up approaching a few of them and saying, hey, this is what I do. My, this is my interpretation of how our Indigenous peoples understand health, because it is from more of that holistic understanding. It is mind, body, spirit, emotions. Um, for anyone that is listening that knows a little bit about Indigenous culture, one of the big teachings that we have um, that most people are aware of is um, the dream catcher. And so the dream catcher will often be shown traditionally in the four colors. And there's a lot of teachings that come out of this, but part of that is those four parts and how it all connects in a circle as a whole. So these are all parts of that. And then what we teach in naturopathic medicine is, again, that holistic perspective and understanding illness and disease as part of the whole. So when we're looking at healing something slash someone, really understanding that person, again, it's the same thing. It's mind, body, spirit, emotion. There, it's all the parts woven into one. I could see the bridge and the connections between this Western understanding of medicine and this indigenous traditional understanding of medicine. And so what I started talking about with them is like, I see these as the connection piece and that naturopathic medicine can actually help to bridge the worlds between our Western medical model and more of the science and the research and all those pieces. And then the uh, traditional pieces as far as what our healers and our elders and all of these um, individuals who have the herbal medicine knowledge and the traditional healing and ceremonies and how the the individual like myself um, who is aware of both of these things and starts to expand their awareness of both of these things can actually start to bring those two together and cross them in a way that allows for even better healing relationships and ultimately the best possible care for the individual who's sitting in front of us. And so that's what I started talking to them about. And so I now work in partnership with one of the health centers up north in Midland. Um, so I'm there um, about once a month right now, and I provide naturopathic care to our Indigenous um, in the community. 
And then I've also started doing different workshops and things like this in partnership with a number of these Indigenous communities to better provide the health and, and wellness of, of our communities. And so that's kind of where that started. And then it's grown from there. And the growth was um, what I'm kind of doing now, which is the podcast, which is Two-Eyed, Two-Eyed Seeing, Understanding the Western and Indigenous understanding of health, healing, and life. And that grew out of that because I could see that there needed to be more Indigenous voices. But again, like we talked about, I struggled (laughs) with finding my way to that. When a culture is attempted to be lost, when someone is, you know, when we're trying to take away a culture, I would imagine all these powerful healers and all of that knowledge, it's, it gets lost. And, you know, if someone isn't teaching it to the next generation, if someone isn't bringing it to the table, because, you know, people might hear this and say, well, you know, why, you know, why would you need to go up to the Indigenous community and, and share this information? It's like, well, maybe those healers that would have been there aren't there, right? And we need to bring that back because it is so powerful. I mean, it seems so simple. Like you're saying this, I wrote it down, the mind, body, spirit, emotion. It's so powerful and it's so connected. And this information does need to be like dusted off and brought back to the, to the forefront because you don't want this powerful information to be lost. One of the things that was brought up and you'll need to kind of guide me on this, but what is this concept of the seven generations? The understanding is that when we make decisions we are thinking about the seven generations that came before us and the seven generations that will come after us. So it's very much part of our culture um, for most of our Indigenous communities. We have different understandings of that teaching within each nation, but generally most of us have some version of understanding that piece. And it's that idea that we are stewards of the planet. We are stewards of whatever it is that we currently have access to right now. And it is our responsibility to protect that for the seven generations that will come after us and consider what those seven generations did before us to allow us to be here now. So then in terms of my own practice, because I do do a lot of work with uh, women, women's health, pregnancy, pediatrics, and, and doula care, What I tend to look at it as is when we can help the woman to be as healthy as she possibly can, we're actually impacting the health of the next seven generations. And that is power of preventative medicine and proactive medicine. When we can start to have a conversation with her, even before she is ready and thinking about becoming a mother herself. Sarah, I'm going to have to have you back to talk about women's health specifically because it's something I'm really passionate about. And I would love to dive deeper on that because I know many of my listeners are women and going through different phases. You know, some are coming into motherhood and some are just like now, like my phase, like, hey, these kids are tweens and like, what next? We're looking at menopause and perimenopause and all of these things coming our way, which I feel still needs so many people to shine the light on it, you know? And, um, We're going to talk. This is going to be good. But I have so appreciated this conversation. It's been really given me 
you know, just really a lot of insight into what you do for sure. But I love the connection that you're bringing in your Indigenous heritage. And I did listen to your podcast and you have such a lovely energy. I'm telling you this right now. I can keep talking. Like, no wonder you do what you do. I feel like I just want to spill my guts. Like you have such an open energy about you. This has been so lovely. So thank you. Thank you. And Chimigwech and Nyawa which all mean thank you <laughs> for anyone's like, what's she saying? Uh, it's, it's just, that's the Mohawk and the Ojibwe. I just want to convey my thank you as well for, for having me on. This has been a wonderful conversation. Dean. Hey. Welcome. Thanks for having me on again for the 19th time. Listen, I'm limited on who lives in this house that would be willing to participate. So I take what I can get. There's a dog right here. Hey. I feel like we need to quickly jump into this before our cough neighbor starts messing around with his leaf blower again. Oh my God. What's going on with that leaf blower? I don't even want to get into it. It's a really bad leaf blower and it takes way too long. Moving on. Yeah. Moving on. All right. So I wanted to do something a little different today. And I wanted to talk to you about something that's happening, pop culture stuff that I was really quite moved by. And here, we're just going to get into it. So there is an interview that was just released with a a channel on YouTube and various other platforms called Style Like You. And it's an interview with model Polina Porshkova, who is in her early 50s. She's stunning. She's been a model for decades. And that's what she's known for. And so she came into spotlight, I say, like most recently, maybe within the last year or two, where her late husband passed away. She was written out of the will. She had nothing really to her name from what I can gather. Um, And then came kind of thrust back into the spotlight and is absolutely, to me, a stunning human being, but has been met with like, you're a grandma, go back home, stop wearing bikinis, you've, you're too old, you've aged out. And so in this most recent interview, she talks about becoming invisible at a certain point where you just, nobody wants to see your face anymore because culturally we're obsessed with youth. And so I wanted to talk about that with you because something that we do address on many of you know my videos and things is us having a bit of an age gap and an age difference. Yeah. I'm the younger one, P.S., for those listening. Um, But yeah, I wanted to talk about it. So you watched the interview. What was your, you know, your take after watching it? Well, what I took from it was that this is a very hurt woman. You know, she, I kind of didn't really understand the video, what was happening at first, but she's, she's sitting on a stool and she's being asked a number of questions about her life and experience and going through divorce and separation. And as she's speaking, she slowly takes off her clothes uh, in, in increments. And what you have before you is, I guess, just to reveal the true Paulina Porskova. Um, what I took from it is things that I kind of recognize in a lot of people, not necessarily myself, but the difficulty in aging, like you said, in a, in a world where youth is just everything. And I kind of thought about it when you told me about this interview. I didn't know quite what to say because I think that, like, in my case, I noticed things about aging, but 
they're more of a personal thing. Like I don't really would, wouldn't find the need to get up and talk about my aging and the things that are coming my way for a couple of reasons. Um, the first is, is that I don't know why I don't. And some people do, but I don't have any desire to please anymore. Uh, uh, you know, with present company ex, ex, uh, excluded, I don't have the desire to feel like I'm impressing anyone or that I have to acquiesce to their bullshit or anything like that. That's number one. The number two thing is that I had a lovely life, amazing life, a little rocky start as we, you know, when you're young, you have, you don't have the choice of family. Um, your friends, maybe you're, I grew up in a smaller community. I felt like I didn't have any true friends sometimes, or they're in and out of your life, that kind of thing. But, you know, my flying, my aviation career took me places that I never would have went. And I've met people that I've never would have run into before. And I became a citizen of the world. And I am just the luckiest person that could ever, you know, uh, ever be. I've eaten all types of different foods and been all types of different places. And if it ends tomorrow, I don't really have any regrets at all other than, you know, missing my family, but I'd be toast anyway. So you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't really know that part of it. So I think that with her, when I listen to her interview, I see someone that's really, really hurt and someone that was forced into an environment. She speaks about her parents leaving her at a very young age. Mm-hmm. How fucked up is that? And I didn't even know that part about her story. Like she's from Czech. She's from Czech, right? Yeah. Czech, she's Czech. Czech. And uh, yeah. And then they used her. For, she, so she's been used for her looks and then used her looks yeah. for her whole life. It's interesting to talk to you about it. And I think one of the things, you know, I'm curious about is like as a man, you know, cis man, like, have you ever felt like you've had to rely on the way you look, your outward appearance for anything? Well, I think you maybe certainly pride yourself on how you look. Like I was very fit as a young person and, you know, I had a great dating life and that type of thing. And as you get older, um, you know, your body changes and, and it, I think for me, it started at 40 years old. I could really notice that, oh, wow, it's harder to get fit and you fall into vices and your sleep is a little bit different. Like now I'm in my 50s. I don't sleep the way I used to sleep. Uh, I'm trying to get into good shape. It's it's a, an uphill battle. But mostly I noticed that, uh, I don't know about you, but how you feel because you're younger than me. What are you, 37? Yeah. I always felt like there was going to be this big beach party when you grew older. You know what I mean? Like, I, like I don't a know celebration right. for you? Yeah. Like, 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 I don't know if it was, it's media, like the whole mutual life freedom 55 bullshit, which no one's <laughs> going to retire at 55 unless you're incredibly <laughs> lucky or a teacher or a healthcare professional or something like that. But I realize now that with, you know, your friend group recedes a little bit and you kind of wonder, geez, how many people do I actually know? Well, I feel like I feel like that's a problem of having watched a lot of movies in the eighties. Oh, like, maybe, yeah. Because <laughs> you think about any like eighties feel good movie, to, uh, there's always like some party. You're going to Diane Keaton's house. <laughs> Diane Keaton's your mom, 
and you just retired and she's having a great big garden party yeah. in your Martha's Vineyard totally. know, estate. But that's not going to happen. Well, and, and I just think it's so unrealistic because we move around and our communities change. Okay, but coming back to like yeah. this whole thing, I found it so profound and it could be because I am a woman and I am accepted in society for different things and people see value in different ways. But I know for a fact that I have used and uttered the words like, you know, for example, I love podcasting because podcasting isn't reliant on your face. Like you are using your thoughts and your feelings and the way you articulate. And it's so much more than just what people see. And I do feel that as I get older, like I see my face on videos. I'm like, damn, I'm looking a little tired this year. Like, should I do some things to my body to make it more palatable for the consumer? No. Right. <laughs> but I'm just saying that these are like real thoughts that I think a lot of people have as they get older. Now, I know you mentioned like you're not really worried about pleasing too many people. And I totally feel that as your partner, like <laughs> not that you're not pleasing, but that you're just like, oh, I try. <laughs> He aims to please, but that you're just like doing your own thing, right? But let's say you were thrust into the dating world. Like you have said to me, I remember like a few years ago that you'll walk down the street and I remember you were kind of like, oh my God, I hit that age where women under 25 or whatever, like don't even know you exist anymore. For sure, for sure. And, and, you know, you, you almost have to, um, how do I say? It? I tend to be a little bit flirty, but not like flirty in in a in a sensual way. Like you're super fun, flirty. I, I like to be, have fun. Yeah. And you know, some people that you meet, like younger people or whatever, in their twenties, you know, sometimes you get this like real feeling that, oh, geez, you know, you you could be my daughter. I <laughs> maybe yeah, this is not good. I kind of. I'm not really like of the illusion that number one, I have a chance with younger women if I was divorced, because to tell you the truth, now that I've been married to a younger woman for a number of years, <laughs> um, there's certain mental things like you change and and y- you you would rather sometimes sit down and have a, a deep talk about, you know, the intricacies of 80s music or the influence of you know, this and that and the other thing, like get into these deep conversations. And I think if I was single, I don't think I would date again. I think I'd be done. I feel, I mean, you're preaching to the choir here because I didn't even date people my own age because I was like, I'm almost like the opposite. I wanted like someone older, more mature, where I felt like our our values and interests aligned. Well, you missed that mark. I know. I know. I mean, it's worked out. We've balanced out over the years, but it's um, it's very interesting. You know, I know that for myself, I have this personal mission, which at times I've often thought maybe am I just being lazy by showing up on the Internet without makeup with like looking like a regular person? Like, I don't get up and look fabulous. But you know what? Did you see that there was a video just on? Oh, I think it was the Paula, Paulina Porskova video. Did she remove her makeup? No. Or there was another one like that. That someone was talking and they removed their makeup. Listen, I think women all look very similar for their ages. And, you know, makeup does wonderful things. Like when you throw on 
a nice dress and and do your makeup and hair and stuff like that you're a super haughty model from venus like you're amazing <laughs> right but i think the community that you have doesn't necessarily demand that of you i thought about that and i said yeah i guess depending on what environment you're in so i can see that like paulina poroskova isn't going down to the local walmart right and and uh talking to the audio video guy striking up a conversation about android boxes and then setting up a date that night so yes in your world paulina perhaps that's the case right that is not the case so but then if you go on the other side of it what real real choices that she have she's a famous person and i think like a lot of famous people they date within their gene pool you know well, yeah. Because it's easy. You don't have to reinvent stuff. You don't yeah. have to feel awkward about things. Yeah. I suppose it surprises me that you got that side of the interview because I, I didn't really focus on that. I think I was focused more on the element of like that part where she's sitting with the photographer and he asks her to stop making facial expressions because oh, right. he hasn't seen a woman over 25 or been around a woman over 25 yeah. in like 50 years and is confused by the way her face moves. I was like, holy crap. And if anything, that kind of left me with the motivation. And I do truly have this feeling like there's like this little fire burning in me that as I continue to get older, I want to continue to show up online to be that normal woman aging and living life. Mm -hmm. So that women my age have someone that they're doing life with because now I don't know if you've seen this, but like so many people that I started out with on YouTube, the early mom YouTuber days are gone. They don't do what I do anymore. Right. Their kids got to a certain age and they maybe just weren't as passionate about what they were creating and just kind of filtered out. Right. And so... Now there's people who are doing what I do with older kids and more and more you're seeing women age on the internet. But I feel like we're kind of that first generation of women who started this over a decade ago and more who are continuing to show up. So like women don't have to disappear anymore. Unlike Paulina's experience where she Googled a 52 year old woman and tried to find a natural 52 year old woman's face and couldn't find it. Right. I feel like more and more there's people like myself showing up and being our authentic selves. Now, I should say, I have had Botox before. I'm not opposed to Botox. It does a weird thing to my eye, so I'm like not so sure about it anymore. Um, well, it's that, that's all your choice to do. Totally, totally. You know, and that's the other thing too is that you're not an you're an environment where you want to make yourself out a certain way and if you want to try stuff or whatever. But you're not married to the type of person that wants you to get breast enhancements or you know, facial rec uh, facial recognition, <laughs> like Hello. fillers and all that kind yeah, of stuff, facial reconstruction or anything like that. Like, it's just not the way that we are. And, you know, with her, like getting back to the little gene pool that she she was in or is in. I mean, I think when you're at the party, it's all like, yeah, this is great. I'm going to live forever type of thing. But then we all go down that road and there's no turning back. And friends become sparse and good friends become more sparse. And we realize that we see, you know, an end to this, which is why, you know, there's a lot to be said for self love and self-respect. 
I'm so I, glad you brought that up. I was literally, as you're speaking, I'm like the power of loving yourself. I, I, when I lost my job, I realized how many true friends I really, really had. And the answer is probably close to zero. There's a few supportive people, but nobody wants to hear your bullshit, you know, day after day about, you know, uh, the, the shock and awe that you just lost your career and all that stuff, or that you're complaining about other people and their lack of, of friend friendly fidelity you know they're they're not true to you type of thing i think it's tricky because i'm not a fan of that comparative suffering like you're allowed to be upset about things that upset you it doesn't have to be worse than or better than anyone else's right like i'm like if you want to have a moment you have that moment but i definitely think that there's that element of like i and i don't know if this is normal but i spend a lot of time thinking about what my life might be like in some distant future day when my kids are grown and I have like different dogs and I have a different home and maybe I'm by myself. Mm -hmm. I really, I give that a lot of thought because I don't want to be shocked by that moment. I'm not a person who likes that kind of, how did I end up here? What's going on? Like, I like to see my aging face. Like I joke with my sister that I don't have any gray hair yet and she's got a few more than me. And I'm like, damn it. You know, like I want to have that ab- like ability to have gray hair as I get older yeah. and like find ways to celebrate that. And I see what she's doing in the sense that she's kind of come, become like a poster child for the spokesperson for women aging. And I think it's great because it's ca- starting these conversations. Right. And I think for the like a regular person who is aging because isn't that a gift to continue to get older is I really try to how do I look at it from like that glass half full perspective like yeah "Yeah, man I'm gonna have I hope to god I have that wrinkly soft skin like when I used to hold my grandma's hands and just kind of like how soft her hands were and um you know because she was a woman in her 70s and you know nearing her 80s and what a cool thing that you get to be that old and have those experiences rather than like trying to cling to something that is well, that, going to change. And that's kind of what I was doing. I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not grief shaming her or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but at, at what point, like, let's look at it. Let's look at it from a, a reality standpoint is that, yes, you have that sorrow and you have that regret, but you're here now mm-hmm. and, and live in the moment. I mean, you still are uh, with, in her case, she's still a beautiful woman and, and her personality seems unique. Like she just seems like a, uh, you know, a young little Czech girl who's, <laughs> you know, bakes pies and like, she's very sweet. Absolutely. And there's no reason that she can't move on because the thing about it is that holding on to grief, holding on to regret, holding on to the past, nobody cares. In a lot of cases, you find yourself, you're the only one that's thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You ever, I, I do that a lot. And it gets me really crazy that, you know, I think about conflicts that I've had in the past with people or things that I've lost or, you know, whatever. And, and at a certain point in time, I go, hey, you know what, hold on here. Nobody cares about your grief. Nobody cares about your happiness, except the people that are, are close to you. Mm-hmm. And that's a finite thing. You can't just you have to have respect for other people's uh, uh, feelings and how they're feeling at the time. You can't just be the person, you know, doling out all your feelings to somebody and expect them to just be like the, you know, endless bucket that you can throw things into. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, you know, to kind of wrap up this conversation, I know that it is important to me that 
women especially, because men are sort of celebrated as aging like fine wine as they get older, but women are not as much. And I find for me, it's, am I paying attention to the voices and the stories of those women who are getting older, who are talking about how to celebrate their their life and, and the changes that they're going through from, you know, if you've chosen to have children from your children leaving to that feeling of like empty nest to what are your hobbies now as you get older to celebrating your aging body. All of that stuff I think is so important. So, yeah. um, and it just, it, I feel like if you keep having those conversations, it becomes less and less of this uh, surprising and shocking narrative because it's like, oh, no, it just we talk about this. Yeah. Women don't have to disappear. And you're seeing it with actress, actress, what you're seeing it with actors like, no, you know, women continue to do well and, and continue to act. They don't stop acting at 27 anymore, you right. know. Um, and so it just makes me happy to see those conversations. So. Yeah, keep anyway. on keeping on. Indeed. All right, thanks, Dean. Thanks. Favorites time. Let's talk about three things that just makes my life a little, you know, a little better these days. Okay, so first things first, the weather has changed. I feel like one of the first things aside from, you know, my fingers starting to get cold and requiring a toque or a beanie of some kind is uh, my poor lips. I recently did a lot of yard work. So I'm out in the yard. The wind is a blowing. My poor lips are just out there in nature. <laughs> and both days that I worked outside, oh my gosh, at the end of the day, I felt like my lips were on fire, just red and sad and yeah, I didn't like it. But my go-to product for lips is, first of all, just a lip balm of some kind. You know, I have definitely tried many lip balms over my time. I do not like them heavily scented. And if they are going to be scented, I need like a natural smell, um, nothing too sweet. And the Beeswax Lip Balm, let me tell you the actual name of it. First of all, it's Burt's Bees. There's beeswax in it, but it's the Burt's Bees Beeswax Lip Balm, the minty one, just like the original. It's minty. It's nourishing. I lather up my face full of that stuff and it makes all the difference. Um, you know, this time of year, I find, you know, you put on any jacket owned by me and there's probably going to be a lip balm in the pocket. I like being outside. I like walking the dogs. I like, well, I don't like doing yard work, but you know, it needs to be done. There will soon be snow that I'll be shoveling. And I just find that, you know, when you do have a really good lip balm and you smother your lips with them, it's just like a little barrier to the elements and it makes all the difference. So if you struggle with that, try it out. But anyway, I'm just a big fan of that one. It has a lovely mint, not flavor, but scent. And um, it's not overpowering. And I just think I like it. Thought I'd share. Next thing on my list is a candle from my candle shop, Hello Friendo. This shop I know is not news to you, but I thought I would just share because I often get asked, you know, what's your favorite candle if you were going to buy one, you know? Which one would you choose? Because unfortunately, uh, our website doesn't offer scratch and sniff, so you can't quite test out the candles. So what I thought I would do is share my favorite from our holiday collection, which is what just recently launched, and then my top favorite from our heirloom collection, which is the candles we have all year round. So holiday launch, listen, it was tough, okay? Because we have the light and fruity one, that's the fairies and sugar plums. We have the Santa's sleigh, which to me is like 
this beautiful, perhaps more masculine kind of scent. Um, I hate to say things are masculine or feminine, but I feel like that does it justice if you're trying to smell something, you know, like you're kind of trying to get an idea. It's a little bit more masculine. I really like it. But my favorite is Tannenbaum. You guys, I have it right here. Little ASMR. Oh, you hear this and some dogs barking in my yard. Actually, that's not my dog. Anyway, um, I love it. I absolutely love it. It is uh, pine and amber and is that beautiful classic Christmas tree smell. I absolutely love it. I do have a fake Christmas tree. I've used uh, an artificial tree for several, several years now. When I bought it, I was like, well, I'm going to be using this tree for at least a decade to help with the (laughs) environmental footprint situation. So it's nice to have that pine smell in my living room and I like to light that candle and sit by the tree and it is just lovely. So I know a lot of you are loving it too because it's selling like wild, uh, but that would probably be my go-to from our holiday collection, which of course is a limited collection. So once we sell out, we're sold out. Um, But anyway, it's lovely. Now I will say from my main collection, my scent preference, I think, tends to go towards the more traditionally masculine scents. I like that kind of sexy smell. Is that possible? You know what I mean. A smell can be sexy. I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, like even the the pine scent to me is a bit more masculine and sexy. Um, the Santa sleigh, a little bit masculine. But my go-to is probably our top seller, which is magic. It's just... Oh my gosh. Isn't it like frankincense? And I should probably pull this up. I don't have one in my office with a label on it because sometimes Dean will just have like leftovers when he's cooking up the candles and I don't want to waste a label from my office. We save the labels for you guys. Because it is a Frendo apothecary, there's a prescription. And so it's for meditation, purification, and healing. And the scent is myrrh, vanilla, patchouli, and bergamot. I said frankincense because it makes me think like, you know, frankincense and myrrh. Anyway, uh, it smells incredible. It is an incredibly sexy smell. I feel like most people that I say, you will like this candle, freaking like that candle. Okay. Um, It's amazing. Anyway, those are my two favorite scents. Thought I would share that with you. And of course, just say, you know, your support of our small business goes a long way and I really appreciate it. So to those who have purchased, you're incredible. Thank you. And if you cannot purchase, that is okay. If it's just not your jam, uh, that's, you know, no hard feelings. I appreciate you just listening to me talk about candles. So that is all. Moving on to my last favorite for the week. And it's like a two-part favorite because I'm obsessed with corduroy. Okay. Why do I like it? I like it because I can layer it. And I, you know, I don't know. I do a lot of stuff in my day. You know, I'm walking dogs. I'm sitting in my office, which is a little bit cool, to be honest. It's a little chilly because I'm above the garage. So I try to layer up. You know, if I'm running up and down the stairs doing laundry, I don't need all the layers because I'm going to be, you know, my blood's pumping. I'm going to be getting a little warm. When I'm walking the dogs, I feel like that particular fabric, it just breaks the wind a little bit. Like it, it's not so cold and icy on my legs when I'm walking. I don't have to layer up as much when I wear that particular fabric. So I love it. And this is the second part of this favorite is that I say that I don't know if it's in style because over the years, if I ever see flannel, not flannel, 
I have a lot of flannel shirts. But if I ever see corduroy pants, I am on it. Like I buy them. I don't even, no questions asked. I'm buying them. So I have two pairs right now that I bought actually through Joe Fresh over the years. And then yesterday, like just last night, I was out with my daughter shopping for a winter jacket and boots. And we stumbled into a store our den of all places. And they had like wide leg, absolutely adorable corduroy pants. So I bought two pairs. I might actually return one to exchange it for a different color because I all I just realized I already have an existing pair of corduroys that are kind of this coppery color. And then I have a forest green. And then last night I bought navy blue and forest green again, but I already have that color, you know? So anyway, I'm thrilled. The price was right. Uh, I got to say, I don't normally think I would shop at Arden, but I can't believe I found corduroy there. So, hey, if you're in the market, you know where to find it. All right. Those are my favorites for the week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I want to know if you enjoyed the conversation with Dr. Sarah Connors as much as I did. I feel super empowered about my health. I just... I don't know if I'm entering this age where I just want to know more and I want to learn more. And I feel like we need to have her back to talk about women's health in more detail. I'm definitely interested in, you know, the health element of women having babies, but I'm really fascinated by that latter part of life, the menopause, the life changes, all of that kind of stuff. So you'll have to let me know on Instagram at Amanda Muse. All right, guys. Be sure to mark your calendars next week where I'll be sitting down with a content creator who creates fun and fluffy and hilarious and also raw content in the motherhood and fitness department. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll see you guys next week. Friendo is produced by Amanda Muse with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing by Ali Ashbacker and Amanda Muse. Production and sound design by Rob Johnson. Can I ask a little favor? Can you share this podcast with a friend? It's the best way to help get Friendo into new ears. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Find me on Instagram daily at Amanda Muse, YouTube for weekly videos at Amanda Muse, and TikTok for some laughs at Muse Amanda. Thank you for listening and join me next week.